not going to sing at you today. You're going to have to listen to me talk. Sorry. My name is John, and I'm very, very grateful to be here to share with you a little bit about how God has moved in my life, a little bit of my story. And uh, I really, really thank Pastor Eric for being brave enough to allow me to be up here, and Pastor Ted for helping me through preparing for this. And I'm also really grateful for the Eagle family here today. Um, I pray that my testimony is going to encourage you. I pray that the way that God has moved in my life will move in you today, that you will hear my story, and then it will lift your heart. You are going to hear my story, and it won't lift your heart. In fact, some of you are going to have a hard time believing my story. You're going to wonder, is that, could that be true? And let me tell you, it'd be a very, very natural reaction. I still don't necessarily, if it didn't happen to me, you know, if it didn't happen to me, I'd be like, eh, I don't know, Bob, that sounds a little bit weird. But I'm, I'm really asking, I'm really asking for you guys to just run through the hypothetical. If this actually happened to somebody that I know, and it's true, how would that change my life? What, what would be the ramifications in, in my life if, if it's true? What if? My prayer today is um, that you would you'd see how God used Psalm 100 to reveal that he's real. And then you would see how he brought me to Job 38 where he reveals who he is. And then that took me to Job 42 where he showed me that I, would, I could live my life by dying to myself. So my prayer is that uh, you would hear directly from the Lord this morning, that as we go through these scriptures, sorry, there's a lot of scriptures in here. They're listed in your note sheet if you would like to review them back, but uh, this is kind of the, the way that God took me through the scriptures when he revealed himself to me. So before we get into my story, let's introduce my family. My name is John. And up on the screen here is my family. That's my wife, Whitney. Brayden is our 12-year-old, who you sometimes see here playing the drums. And then Colton, our 9-year-old on the left. And then our baby girl, Avonlea, who is 7 years old. And there, of course, is my little lab, Darla, and our rat terrier, Dasher. So that's the, the Solomon household. And I don't know how my wife got that perfect little smile picture from Darla there, but she is just that cute all the time. We have been married for 13 years, and we've been so blessed. Our family has been so blessed. I was born and raised in San Diego, and my wife was born in Las Vegas, Nevada. In fact, this is the first time that she has lived anywhere outside of Las Vegas. So we, uh, we met not longer after I was saved, and I thank God all the time that she did not meet me pre-Jesus. Amen? Anybody else out there? Um, I didn't know the Lord until I was 33, and I was as comfortable in my sin as uh, one who didn't even think sin was a real thing anyway. Anybody else understand what that feels like? So I didn't even, I wondered at the hypocrisy of the Christians that I did know. I openly mocked the Bible. I didn't, and it didn't make any sense to me at all. I thought it was intellectually weak, and... Um, 
I guess most of the time, I, I didn't even really pay attention to Christianity. It just wasn't on my radar. We would not have been hanging out unless I worked for you. Um, oh, but God. And now I'm standing here before you to bring the word of God after being in vocational ministry full-time for 14 years. We can celebrate that. Let's give God a chance to just, just say, God changed my life 100%. And this is my Damascus Road story. This is, this is how he came in and got a hold of me. So after, this, after the events at 9-11, I, like a bunch of people, thought it was a great idea to sign up and join the military against my mother's wishes. I didn't tell her till afterwards. She's still upset about that. But I served in the Army and was deployed to Mosul and Baghdad, Iraq in 2005-2006 as a part of the 172nd Striker Brigade. What's up, Diablos? Like, my unit was literally the devils, okay? So this is, this is God's sense of humor. I was also in Fairbanks, Alaska, which was not all that funny. But I am ready for the winter here. Y'all, the winter is going to be okay. Um, I got out. And shortly after I got back from Iraq, and I was really planning on moving to Nashville to try to do something in the music business, because I figured if I'd survive getting blown up and shot at, the, you know, a couple beer bottles and some booze couldn't deter me from trying to, to live out a dream that I had my entire life, and that was to do something in the music industry. So um, I just got home in northern Nevada from my second trip out to Nashville, and it was a Wednesday that I returned. And that Saturday, I was, I was shaving. So I was in my bathroom, 9 o'clock in the morning. I'm shaving, and uh, I went to dry my face off. And I looked up in the mirror, and I watched myself say the words echo corrale out of my mouth. I, was, I looked myself dead in the face and said words that I had no idea what they meant. So just like you, I was thinking, well, what the heck does that mean? So I ran down the hallway and um, sat in front of my computer. And for those of you who can go back in time to 2007, when you typed in Google, it would highlight the words in bold or embolden the words that were associated to your word search. And at first I thought it was Italian because it just sounded like it was Italian to me. So I put in E-C-C-O-C-H-O-R-A-L-E. Echo Crowley. Nothing came up. It was like echo up here at the top of the screen and then another Crowley down here at the bottom. So I'm sitting in this chair, rocking back and forth, and I'm going, what in the heck is happening to me? This, this echo Crowley is echoing in my head over and over and over again. And finally it dawns on me as it's echoing in my head that it is, oh, echo, E-C-H-O. So I type that in. And what comes up is a piece of sheet music written by a guy named Heinrich Schust in 1640-something. So now I'm like, okay, this, this seems like maybe I'm onto something. So I click on the piece of sheet music, and the title that you see inside is the lyrics, and it's Psalm 100. So remember, I had just gotten back from combat. I'm pursuing some sort of career doing something around music. And God drops these crazy 
breadcrumbs in front of me and leads me to Psalm 100. Now, most of us out here were just like me and they had no idea what Psalm 100 was. I was so unchristian that I didn't even know that I could Google Psalm 100 right there in the, in the computer in front of me. I was like, oh, somebody put the Bible on the internet. That's crazy. So I'm running around my house trying to find a Bible. I find an old King James. That is it's the proverbial dusty old King James Bible that my mom had probably given me when I was eight. And I would open the pages that are all trimmed in gold, and I find the Psalms, and here's Psalm 100. It says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and in truth endures to all generations. Now, when I was experiencing these words, it wasn't like I was just reading a normal book where the words were coming at me and I was hearing them. They were erupting from within me. It was like the roof in the house was gone and, and the, the voice of the Lord was moving through my body completely and totally. There was nothing else other than these words. And my first thought was, Holy Lord, that's not what I said. It was a bad word, but I'm not saying it here. <laughs> the, the God is real, and the God of the Bible is real. I have been so wrong. And in that instant, I was seeing all, like, you know, how your life is flashing before your eyes, and you could see every single place where I had disrespected the Lord or I'd spit on his name through my actions, or I had mocked him. And I was just so ashamed that I had missed it so bad. And as soon as I got to that place, as soon as I had gotten to the end of myself, and I knew that I had no justification for my actions, I felt this flood of warmth that washed over me, the embrace of grace. I don't know how else to describe it other than all those songs you hear about grace coming down like rain, this, this warmth, this incredible sensation of compassionate embrace and acceptance consumed me. I was gifted with a deep knowledge that I was loved and then I was, I was chosen. I was honored with the special care that my call represented. It was tailor-made for me. The way he called me was tailor-made for me. I, I couldn't deny it. I couldn't, rem I couldn't forget it. And I couldn't think that it was for anybody else. There was just, this was, he came for me. And I was forgiven. But I was also bought I was his. I was the sheep of his pasture. 
I no longer belong to myself, nor, this is really important, nor was I alone in my thoughts. It was extremely disconcerting to know that somebody else is aware of every single thought that I had ever had, was currently having, and was going to happen in the future. So after some time and stunned, tentative conversation prayer with my newly discovered God, creator, king of the universe, um, I was like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do next? Now, don't miss that. This This is deep. I was so convinced that God was real and with me and listening to me that all I had to do was ask him, what do you want me to do next? And I immediately got my word. And embedded in that two-word phrase was a whole bunch of information that I got like that. It's like my word, meaning that I have spoken previously and my word is sufficient for you. And if you want to know what to do next in your life, I've already said it. So I was like, oh, okay. I'm going to need, I need to read the Bible. I don't know anything about the Bible. God, what do you want me to do next? I didn't hear anything. So I did the next thing that occurred to me, which I don't recommend as an expository tool, but I did the Bible roulette thing. You know, when you take your Bible and you're like, God, what do you want me to see? And you go. (laughs) Okay, so I'm not the only one that's ever done that. That's cool. Um, This is when it gets, this is when it gets fun. I landed on uh, Job 38. Now, I didn't have the context for this story, and I didn't need it for the way that God brought me into that story. It was quite a ride from the beginning. Let me give you a little bit of a taste to what he had to say this morning. Remember, every single word of this is like a soul-ripping, chest-rending, head-exploding utterance from God coming out of the page through my eyes deeply within me. Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. First of all, look at the title. If you have your Bible open, it's like, this is when God answers Job. So, God, what do you want me to see? God answers John right here. It's awesome. Then God, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? I didn't really get what that was talking about at the time, but the next line really did get my attention. I read it in the King James. It says, gird up your loins like a man. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Lord's coming in hot. (laughs) Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who measured its, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. I'm like, God's kind of a smart aleck. This is crazy. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? And when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Verse 12. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? 
and cause the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it. Verse 16, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the, of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Can you feel this? This is, this is the Lord God Almighty telling me who he is. The last one, I'll just go to the verse 36. It says, who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? This is a magnificent, beautiful, poetic revelation about who God is. God is establishing here that he is God and that we are not. This goes on for pages. This is, this is chapter 38. It's 39. It's 40. It's 41. He goes through the animal kingdom saying like, you know, who helps the lion figure out where his prey is going to be? Or who cares for the ostrich's eggs? Because she just lays them on the ground, not even caring. He says he's removed wisdom from the ostriches. You know, just... It is the enormity of the creation that is functioning by his command. It was beyond my capacity to understand why things are happening the way that they are. It's not my lane to know why things are happening. However, I can, I can respond how I've been commanded to. You know, I can't understand who stretched the line across the horizon, but I can respond in the situations and the circumstances that he's put me in. This is, this is what's coming to me as, as I'm reading this. Trusting God in all things. So I had died to my own life, and I was now ready to take up the posture of a servant in my new one. God was beginning to show me how to live. Because of Job 42, oh, I missed Job 42. I got to go back. This is the line. Sorry. When, when I was finishing reading about God's revelation, this is, this is the key part. Job finally has a, a time to answer. God's pressing down on him with all of his glory, and then finally he relents, and Job's able to answer like this. He says, uh, Joe, I, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. So I knew things about you, God. Now I see you. And I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I was at the end of myself, and so was he. So when I started reading the scriptures a little bit more, and I got into the New Testament, and, and I encountered Matthew 16, 25, when Jesus says, for whoever would save his life would lose it. Y'all heard that one? Whoever's going to save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I nodded my head. I, I got that one. I got that one right, uh, right away because I had felt the glory of the Lord pressing down on me and the warmth of his embrace as, as a son. 
God was not an ideal at that moment. From that moment on, June 23rd, 2007, God was a person who knew me, who wanted me to know him. And gosh, you know, even calling him a person is to somehow diminish the full extent of who he is, but he's certainly not an idea. I didn't know things about God. My eye had seen him. So I started reading the Bible. I wanted more of him. And I had remembered someone a long time ago when I was a kid said, oh, if you want to start reading the Bible, you should start in the book of John. It's like a really great way to start hearing the story of Jesus. So I, I went to the book of John. And uh, man, the book of John, <laughs> according to Jesus, um, if, if I love him, I had to keep his commands. John 14, 15. So I immediately, getting through the book, I'm like, I better figure out what Jesus is commanding me to do, right? I love Jesus so much. And I know that he's telling me that if I really love him, then I'm going to obey. So I better figure out what he wants me to do. So I continued to read. I went on to read things like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength in Mark. And love your enemies. I read... Bless those who curse you. Or how about care for the least of these as if they were me. Go and make disciples. Or how about a hard one? Like Matthew 10, 37, 38. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So I wish there was a way to lighten this up right now because like, it's tense, right? This is, this is tense, but this was just the way that God revealed himself to me. I had to die to myself in order to figure out how it was that I was supposed to live based on my understanding that I was a sheep. I was a sheep in his pasture. So I had this, this incredible problem. And it wasn't a faith problem. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't have a faith problem. I had an obedience problem. And the overwhelming sensation of knowing my thought life, knowing my history, knowing my habits, knowing that that was all laid bare to God. He was right there. He knew I had taken him with me everywhere. It was really, really overwhelming. So I would go from this, this deep shame of, oh, I, I despise myself and repent. But every time he would, he would pick me back up. And then my repentance, my bowing down before him and saying, God, I've been so wrong, ended up being the entry into his presence. I would become so flooded with the love of Christ in my repentance 
that he was, he was redefining what was good to me. So I had to lose my life to find it. Matthew 5, 48 is one of those that, that continues to haunt me. And um, I think it's supposed to because Jesus says that we're to be perfect as his Father in heaven is perfect. And I've, I, I guess I've understood that verse in different ways as I've been conformed to his image over these last years. Um, but right now, I, I think I understand that to mean that we're always going to have sin in our life. There's always going to be something of ourself, of our flesh, that is grasping for the throne of our entire life, our attention, our habits. Something is always going to be there. There's, I've talked to some, some older Christians who say that, honestly, the, the pursuit of holiness gets even more difficult sometimes as, as you get older because you become more and more aware of just how holy God is and how many times in a day our mind wanders away from his love or his compassion or his wisdom. So there's grace and there's compassion, but that grace and the love of God is born out of us being able to repent in dust and ashes and then to receive him. But most of us hate that feeling. We don't want to do that. It's like, you cannot drag me kicking and screaming. I got so many excuses. But he knows. He knows. He's there. You can't fool him. Sorry. Um, we want the power of God in us, moving through us. We cannot do this on our own, right? We can't do it on our own, but it doesn't mean that we don't have a role to play. As we're being transformed, as we're being purified, we have to repent. But the power of the Holy Spirit, God is faithful to continue in the work that he began in us. So we can approach this repentance with joy. We can approach travailing prayer and mourning our sin with the hope of the joy that comes on the backside of that. I can stand up here and sing before you about God's great mercy because it's real. I can sing to you about his great love because I feel it. It is good. It's deep in my soul. And at no time am I more awake and alive in his love than when I'm real about my own sin and my own inability. So A.W. Tozer is a guy that we are reading a lot right now, and, and he says it like this. He says, myself, self, is the opaque veil that hides the, vase, hides the face of God from us. It can only be removed in spiritual experience, never by mere instruction. So remembering my personal spiritual experiences, like God revealing himself in Psalm 100 and Job 38, is what allows me to continue to set myself down. Set myself down so Jesus can fill me up with who he is. 
Let me give you a, let me give you a practical example of something that, that Whitney and I are having to deal with in, in, this, in this area here. It's, this is a way that God is shaping my desires increasingly towards holiness and away from myself. We've lived here in Whitestown for a whopping four months now. Woo, we did it, and we love it here. We love it. We got to hang out with so many cool people just the last two days, hanging out in beautiful grass-filled backyards with brick houses and these 100-plus-year-old trees that are just breathtaking. It rained from the afternoon all the way overnight, and it was still raining the next day. Oh, okay, yeah, you're all used to that. Sorry, sorry. We have, I haven't seen that much rain. Like, I don't even know when. It was awesome. It's beautiful here. I, I wish I could just take my eyeballs and give them to you, but the desert dweller, man, this place is gorgeous. It's so beautiful. And the people, Midwest nice, you guys are killing it. It's awesome. You're so kind and hospitable. The staff, the elders, everybody has been so gracious in bringing us into the family. It's a beautiful church. You guys are a beautiful group of people. Now, I don't really know if I should start buying red and white for IU or black and gold for Purdue yet, and I'm not ready to make that decision. So if anybody wants to bribe, I'm open. We'll see what, uh, where our kids end up going. But when it does come to ministering to a group of people, sometimes it's pretty neat to have a fresh perspective from outside eyes in. So if you will allow me to give some perspective on what I see in this church, um, I don't see a lot of what we saw in Vegas, which is rampant infidelity, tons of drug addiction, and physical abuse. It as I expected, this group of people in this community are, for the most part, struggling with different manifestations of sin. The enemy is seeking to destroy and devour with different techniques. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? One thing I noticed here is something that the Lord has revealed to me that I'm struggling with myself, and that is that I suffer from a chronic case of unbelief when it comes to my children. I watch this in, in how I prepare my children for material success above preparing them for a life of kingdom service. How I prepare my children for material success above preparing them for a, for a life of kingdom service. Now, we all love our families, and we're commanded to love our families and, and you guys got to hear me. I watch the way that this church loves their families, and it is a testimony to the beauty of surrendering to God and following his ways. And it's a light. It's a light. But like any good thing, when it becomes the thing, it gets, it gets wonky. We've, we've struggled with idolatry. When we when we love a gift from God more than the giver, we miss the point. <clears throat> I first saw this while reading about how Job's good fortune and his family. So 
Job had everything taken away from him. Very wealthy guy, family, everything got taken away. Family killed, wealth destroyed. He finally bows before the Lord in 42. I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And then everything was restored to him. He bowed, and then the stuff came. Can you see that? When we worship the giver, the gifts returned. We, also, we often worship what we've been given and merely thank the giver. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus says to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. He's talking about your food, your drink, your clothes, where you're going to live. Seek the kingdom, you'll get the stuff. It's not the other way around. I remember reading about Abraham and his child Isaac. He had, Abraham had to be willing to follow God, even, even if it meant, oh God, you can't, you can't actually want me to stab my son on this altar. You can't mean it. And then I remember Matthew 10, 36, 37, whoever loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So Whitney and I went through this when God started to stir in our hearts that we were going to be uprooted We've been in the same community for, well, she grew up there. We've been in ministry together for over 14 years in the same, the same neighborhood. And um, we were being uprooted. And as we discerned where God was, wanted us to serve, we had our own lists of stuff that we filtered the ideas and opportunities that God presented us through. So in addition to feeling a deep confirmation in the spirit, the, the, the phone conversation that Ted and I had was amazingly filled with the Spirit. Two and a half hours went like that. And then that was reconfirmed in my conversation with, with Ted, not, or sorry, with Eric, not too long after that. We knew that God was calling us here. And as soon as that happened, I got to investigating whether or not this was going to be a good place to raise my kids. Is this going to be a good place for my children? I read about the university system. I looked at the homeschool communities, the music programs, athletics, demographics, all of the whole thing. And here's the key that I'm getting at. I wasn't looking at these data for information. I was evaluating the clear call of God on my life against my personal list. To get it where I'm going here, it's like if God had called me into... Nicaragua or El Salvador in a place where the odds of my children being kidnapped and held for ransom are slightly higher, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have gone. Because that's not on my list. Now, it just so happens that this is a crazy, incredible place to raise children, okay? It, was very, it wasn't difficult to make the yes to the call, but th what God was revealing to me is that I had sin in my motive. I had sin in my motive. I was pretty sure 
that I was going to place my own ideas of what's best for my kids ahead of what God had called me to do. And this one hit me this week. If I was, if I was called to Gaza to minister, would I go? 12, 9, 7, precious. Would I go? Would I go back to Iraq? I can hear God telling me here, dress for action like a man, and I will question you, and you make it known to me. Tell me if you have understanding. Where were you when I formed your children in your wife's womb? Who determined the color of their eyes, their tone of speech, or the slope of their noses? Could I possibly, is there any way in this planet that I could possibly know what's better for my children than the God who created the universe? For most of us, the decisions that we are weighing is not about whether or not we're going to enter a foreign mission field or go to the Gaza Strip. It's more like, you know, are our kids going to make a commitment to go to youth group or are we going to go to church today? Is church optional? And as parents, I, what I would, I'd encourage you to all be asking ourselves which activities win over serving the Lord and why. Are we prioritizing material success? Are we making fantastic people who are ready to economically dominate in a global system, or are we building up servants of the king? Job uh, 42 taught me that in order to find my life, I must lose it for God's sake. And I am going really long. I'm so sorry. Um, That's just why I don't want to stand before the Lord. Having worship team, could you all come up for me, please? I don't want to ever stand before Jesus knowing that I've invested an enormous amount of time and money into developing the very selves of my children that God is calling them to die to. So I repent in dust and ashes and I present myself to the Lord and I offer my children and say, God, have your way. This is my journey. This is, this is how God has has brought me into a spot where I know that I have to seek obedience because I do not like it. I don't want to obey. I want to do what I want to do just like everybody else wants to do. But God wants to bless us with his very presence. He wants, he wants us to experience his love, and he's made a way for us to do that by the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how we receive it, by confessing that, Jesus, you are God, you are Lord, and I recognize that you died for my sins and you've risen again. This is the greatest treasure that we can ever pass on to our kids. This is the favor of the Lord, the knowledge of Jesus. So if you're feeling like Job right now, if you're at the end of yourself and you're ready to turn away from your own ways, 
and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, tell him, tell him right now, say, Lord, you are God, and I am not, Lord. I want to be a sheep in your pasture. I recognize that it's you that made us and not me. Lord God, I know that you are good. And I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes right here in this moment, Lord. Because you are great and good and your truth endures to all generations. Amen.